Welcome to Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston. We've been able to talk about diesel prices on this show every week for a long time, and that doesn't mean we won't do it in the future. But they're kind of boring right now, so my opening comments are going to need to focus in on something this week other than the ups and downs of diesel and crude. And let's not forget that the bulk of this video podcast is taken up by our guest of the week. This week, it's Ben Wieson, the CEO of Carrier Logistics. Carrier provides software services to LTL carriers, and as a result, he's got a good perspective on the occurrences, we won't call it a trend yet, but the occurrences of truckload carriers adding LTL capabilities. He's going to join us in a minute. So we call the show Drilling Deep because when we talk about oil, we note that you can't get it unless you drill for it. But you don't need to drill for all energy sources. And that was the focus a few weeks ago when I attended the giant Sierra Week Energy Conference in Houston. I started going to Sierra Week in the mid-90s, and the attendance then was measured in a few hundred attendees. This year was about 7,500 people, and that doesn't even count the seven or 800 or so from the company that now owns Sierra Week, S&P Global. I attended several sessions and wrote about them for freight waves that all focused on one issue, hydrogen. It's generally agreed that in the, it's generally agreed in the trucking industry that if there is going to be a revolution in how trucks are moved, it isn't going to be with batteries. They're too heavy and the recharging just takes too long. Rather, it is going to be with hydrogen. I attended numerous sessions and the one thing that came up over and over again is that the Inflation Reduction Act passed by Congress and signed by President Biden last August is a game changer for hydrogen. That's because the IRA has a fairly simple but very generous tax deduction for hydrogen. At several sessions, the talk was about diesel parity. Could we get the price of hydrogen down to where it is at parity with diesel? Not necessarily where the two prices are identical, but where the price of the energy generated by each fuel, hydrogen and diesel, are roughly on par. There are tax credits in the IRA for hydrogen production based on the fuel source for making the hydrogen. Remember, hydrogen is the second most plentiful element on Earth, but it's also very friendly, meaning you never find it alone. It's always bonded to another element. The most obvious example of this is H2O. So you need energy inputs to separate the hydrogen from the oxygen. You can then do one of two things in trucking. You can inject the hydrogen into a fuel cell, which generates electricity to power an electric drivetrain, like you would with a battery. Or you can inject the hydrogen into a hydrogen internal combustion engine. I get the sense that it is going to be fuel cells that will probably win in the end. The IRA for hydrogen gives credits based on the energy that is used to produce the hydrogen. So if you can show that the hydrogen is green hydrogen, that it was produced completely by, by a completely renewable energy source, a tax credit of $3 per kilogram of hydrogen will be generated. If you show that it was generated by natural gas, the tax credit is less. One nice thing about a kilogram of hydrogen is that its energy content is about the same as a gallon of diesel. So when we hear that there is a $3 credit for kilogram per, per kilogram for hydrogen made from green sources, the comparison to diesel is pretty easy. The credit moves the price of hydrogen $3 closer to the price of diesel. Now, do you want to know what the price of hydrogen is? Well, good luck. Oh, there's information out there. I was looking at a story written a few months ago by S&P Global Commodities Insights, the same people who do Zero Week now. It wasn't a story on the retail price of hydrogen. 
Rather, it was a story on the cost of making hydrogen through electrolysis, which is the process by which you separate hydrogen from oxygen in water. And looking at this crazy list, it was hard to believe we were talking about the same process. It was like a comparison of the price to make sausage all over the world, and the costs were insanely different. The costs for making hydrogen are also very different around the world. And even in the U.S., where the IRA credit would be in effect, the cost differences were huge. The West Coast was very high. The Gulf Coast, not so much. Why? Because natural gas was cheap on the Gulf Coast, and it was that fuel that made the hydrogen. Gas costs were higher elsewhere, so the cost of making hydrogen was higher there. Australia actually had the lowest costs. The cost for making, uh, but the point, the point here, excuse me, the point here is that despite the wide differences in costs, the theme throughout Zero Week was that as you get economies of scale and making hydrogen, and if you can make it with renewable energy, that $3 credit is considered a game changer. It does seem a bit premature to declare hydrogen the winner in the battle for trucking future on the backs of a, on the back of a tax credit. But the possibility also is that the credit provides the basis for building hydrogen infrastructure that can someday stand on its own. I know, I know, the solar people have been saying for years, eventually we'll get to the point where we don't need credits, and the fact is the industry still requires government support in terms of a credit. And diesel is a tough foe. It's plentiful. It's dense. It's easily transportable. There's an infrastructure out there to use it. I know that. But I will say that the one thing I walked away from at Sierra Week is a knowledge that when it comes to hydrogen, there is a lot of really significant brain power going into this issue. Based on the people I heard speak and who I interviewed, if hydrogen doesn't make it, it's not because there weren't some very impressive folks who are targeting it for success. There are lots of them who are built, who are betting their careers on it. Okay, time to move on here on Drilling Deep. You know, when I began covering trucking for freight waves about five years ago, it took me a while to fully grasp just how different LTL trucking was compared to truckload. It isn't just that the mileage is different, it's that the entire pricing model couldn't be more different. The whole physical structure couldn't be more different, with LTL carriers being in this network of warehouses and other facilities. So it's not surprising that for the most part, a a trucking company was either an LTL carrier or it was a truckload carrier. And that was that. That's why it was such a big deal a little less than two years ago when Knight Swift bought AAA Cooper, taking that truckload giant into the LTL world. And just recently, when Knight Swift bought U.S. Express, uh, a follow-up story by my colleague Todd Maiden noted that Knight Swift executives had said that even though they were buying a big truckload company, in fact, considered the second biggest truckload acquisition of all time, that did not mean that Knight Swift had lost any interest in growing its LTL footprint. Ben Wieson is the president of Carrier Logistics, whose software product called Fax primarily serves the LTL community. So he's got a ringside seat for what is going on in the LTL sector and how it might be a fit or how it will not be a fit if it becomes a bigger part of a bigger of a larger truckload carrier. So Ben, first of all, welcome back to Drilling Deep. You were on less than a year ago. That could be a record. Uh, great to be here, John. Always uh, good to talk to the community and uh, happy to share my thoughts regarding LTL and technology and anything else trucking. All right. Well, let's go back two years ago uh, when you got the news that Nice Swift had bought AAA Cooper. What was your first reaction? Well, my first reaction was not surprise, 
because we just see that uh, corporate America loves acquisitions. They love to shake things up. They love to make changes. But a big question mark around what was truly the objective? Why did that merger appear to be attractive to the shareholders, uh, to the boardroom, and uh, is looking back now, do we see that the reasons that appear to be attractive uh, came true? Or did this idea of putting one and one together and getting three, right? Because I think that's why they did it, uh, prove to be a little harder than perhaps was intended. And I don't have any relationship to either of those companies, but I definitely can talk about the challenges and uh, the differences between the segments. And in particular, the technology challenges uh, that might exist trying to facilitate the mission of a truckload carrier concurrently with facilitating the mission of an LTL carrier. Yeah, so let's let's talk about it. You wrote a piece a while back uh, entitled, What are the advantages? Uh, well, okay, you know what? I'm sorry. Your, your, your title was uh, LTL and TL, Strange Bedfellows or a Perfect Match. And what was notable about it, I thought, was when I started to read it, I I didn't expect to stumble on this issue, but it was certainly one of the ones that you raised as most prominent. And that is the technology, the computer systems that run the two divisions. So you think with all the issues of drivers and pricing and uh, physical facilities, you know, you think, wow, computers, that's going to be the, the one thing that might throw this off. So why are computer systems such a key to making an LTL-TL marriage work? The, the nature of trucking today, you know, worldwide, but well focused on North America, has become these trucking companies are as much movers of heavy machinery and freight, which of course they do, as they are consumers of technology, and they become technology companies. So every operation of a trucking company is now controlled by computers, whether it's um, driver safety and performance and telemetrics on the units themselves, on the assets, whether it's the uh, order acquisition, the load planning, the optimization, the invoicing, the customer service, 100% of the operations are computerized these days. And if you think about the nature of a truckload company versus the, the nature of an LTL company, they're a little fundamentally different in what can make them successful. When you look at a truckload operation, in the end, they're managing the asset. And a truckload operation, I think, is going to be the most successful if they can achieve optimized reloads for each of their truck, if they can minimize deadhead miles and achieve that asset utilization. Those are the... that that's blocking and tackling of truckload operations, which is not my forte. When you look at LTL, it's a little bit different. LTL is managing shipments and figuring out how to combine shipments in order to achieve asset utilization, in order to uh, fulfill the mission of, of their customers, which is to move a fraction of a truckload, right? Someone wouldn't ship LTL if they had truckload quantities. If you had a truckload quantity, you'd move it exactly from where it needed to go from exactly to where it needed to be. But in uh, the LTL model, we're sharing trailer space, we're sharing cross-stock facilities. So the technologies to do that uh, are maybe the same at the very beginning, right? Order acquisition is is the same. A bill of lading is a bill of lading, whether it's for a small package in LTL or a full truckload. And an invoice is essentially the same request for payment. Nothing's different on the front end and, and the very back end of that trucking transaction. But everything in between 
is significantly different from uh, the difference of managing an asset versus putting together the jigsaw puzzle. Uh, and, and that's still a jigsaw puzzle, putting together the jigsaw puzzle of the assets and putting together a jigsaw puzzle of the shipments are very different. Well, can you imagine a situation where, let's say, a truckload carrier is looking at buying an LTL carrier and they, they come to the situation or they, they come to the, 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 the scenario and they say, well, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. But then they either are not fully aware of how different the, compu- the computer systems might be or they confront them and say, I just don't think we can pull this off. We don't have the technology expertise in-house to do it. I think in the end, they run separately. That, again, the, the very front end order acquisition, that could be unified together. Right? I can have a, a consolidated website and a consolidated EDI feeds and APIs, all the different ways that shippers interact with the trucking companies. Those are three primary ones. Uh, that that those can be consolidated together, and then the computer systems can sort of branch the order of oh, that one's LTL, send it to the LTL division, that one's truckload, keep it in the truckload division. I, I can see that. And again, as, as I indicated earlier, I can see at the very, very end, they come together maybe for a visibility reporting perspective, right? I, I have one front end in order to see the status of each of my shipments, again, whether it's moving through an LTL network or, or across a truckload network. And uh, one collections, whether you think about it as AR from the transportation provider's perspective or AP from the shipper's provider, right? A, a simplification of, of that process. Those seem to join together well. And I love that idea, right? It's uh, only one place to go to ship for the shipper. And it's only one place to to write a check, if you will. I'm sure it's all EFTs these days, but uh, one, one payment to make, uh, one set of invoices to audit. That all makes really good sets. The journey of the shipment is, is where they they separate, and I, I don't see how they join together. All right. So, I mean, what you, it sounds to me like what you're describing is actually going on in the real world at TFI International, which bought UPS Freight, which was the LTL division of UPS. And as you noted in your piece, they really just kind of kept them separate. Now, that's the way TFI works in general. You know, it made various uh, various a- acquisitions over the years in the truckload space, and they kept all those operating units set, all those operating units separate. Which is a, you know, there are as as you kind of pointed out, there are some synergies that you can do in the background. Up front, there really doesn't look like there's synergies, but those background synergies are really are, are really working. So I gather then the the reason for doing an acquisition like that, you know, TFI buying UPS freight uh, is because you are going to get some synergies on some of the back office things, but upfront where you're, con- where you're presenting yourself to the world and your main areas of service, you just don't see a lot of, uh, a lot of basis for, I hate to say merging them, but doing any kind of joining where you think truckload and the LTL service can kind of work in tandem. Yeah. I, I made myself a Venn diagram. I was sort of going back to, uh, back to basics, the two circles of what does a truckload uh, company need to do? What does an LTL company need to do? And where do those circles overlap so it's it's shared infrastructure? And uh, on on the LTL side, uh, as I as I already stated, I think their core model is very shipment centric. Uh, so that was sort of what I put in big letters in that Venn diagram. Uh, I said that they have a, a fixed facility network, and I realize truckload carriers also have have terminals. But those are more, I think, around maintenance and maybe um, meet points for driving, and, and and nowhere near on the level. You're talking about LTL companies like like Sia that 
that you know, we, well, we would just want to announce our 175th terminal, you know, so it's not the same. Exactly. Yeah. And then those are terminals that are fixed points. They have cross dock facilities. They're loading and unloading freight and, and moving it across those docks every day. Um, LTL focuses a lot on the accessorials when it comes to uh, figuring out how much they're going to charge their shippers. Of course, they have, and we won't get into the dynamic pricing discussion, so they, they have tariffs and rates. But they also collect a tremendous amount of their revenues and accessorials, whether you think of those as extra services or just extra tasks that ended up having to be performed, which maybe no one really wanted, such as, as delay time and waiting time. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the cross dock, that whole uh, discipline of unloading freight, reconsolidating it and moving it to the next point in its journey, the, the idea of a break bolt, that's a very LTL centric feature that then only exists on the LTL side of that diagram. On the truckload side, uh, very asset-centric. Uh, they're less worried about the rigid, static nature of the network because you can have trucks drive anywhere, right? Whether you have a facility or not, you can't unload a truck and reload it anywhere unless you have a warehouse to do that at a terminal location. So that's sort of a differentiation. And I think the truckload carriers are uh, very focused on fuel management because their trucks may have to refuel anywhere. So that's a, a significant focus for them. In the intersection in that Venn diagram, I did find some places that I said, oh, I think that there are commonalities. Both have to recruit drivers, right? So uh, all the, the discussions that the industry has had around uh, driver shortages, uh, challenges there, I've always said that, oh, the lifestyle for an LTL driver is better. It's easier for the LTL companies. Oh, the truckload drivers get paid more. It's, it's easier to recruit there. Whatever it may be, I think that the discipline of, of recruiting drivers is shared between two, and that's an opportunity for synergy. Uh, equipment purchase, equipment maintenance. Again, that, that's the same. You know, the, the trailers are the same. The tractors are the same. The mechanics are the same. So the more you scale, the more you have opportunity, I think, to, to be bigger and better at it. Uh, maintenance, as we already talked about, payable, so some some core back office functionality, and certainly like human resources and those types of infrastructural services for a company. Okay, but this doesn't really answer the question. Let's so let's go to Night Swift. I'm not asking you to tell me what was in the minds of the people at Night Swift. You could get synergies like that just by buying more truckload carriers. So why go into a whole different field? It's a great question. I don't know that I can give you the answer to that. Uh, at all, but it does allow you to say to your customer, to your shipper, hey, I can take care of your freight moves of your logistics needs. Uh, you don't have to call in another supplier, um, which means now I don't have to worry about that other supplier maybe growing and taking over some of my market share. So, so I think it has the promise and allure of making them a multifaceted service provider who can just handle the logistics needs and I could imagine that that grows, not shrinks, um, from a, the perspective of there's there's one connection, there's one network, and it takes care of what you need. Right, because not every shipper is either a truckload shipper or an LTL shipper. They may have some materials, some products that need to move outbound or inbound on, in, on a truckload format. I hate to say truckload format, you know, in truckload. And then they may have other activities where LTL is preferable. I, I think that's... Uh, Definitely the case, right? Inventory management is uh, a whole discipline in itself and uh, forecasting and scheduling. And uh, 
There is no such thing. I don't think a pure truckload shipper. Uh, there might be pure LTL shippers, but there's certainly no pure truckload shipper. I remember a couple of times I was listening in on um, earnings phone call for LTL carriers. And there was at times, particularly during really strong markets, there were times of the analysts asking about spillover, where truckload freight becomes LTL freight because the truckload rates get so high uh, and uh, the availability gets tight. And this was always kind of cast as a bad thing. And I'm going to be right up front with you. And I never really did fully grasp why it was a bad thing. I mean, obviously, there's massive differences between truckload and an LTL, but I couldn't really understand why an LTL carrier taking in freight that might normally be uh, fodder for truckloads is now suddenly bad. Given that it is bad, I guess the idea, and you kind of touched on this, the idea that the two sides in, within a company like you know KNX and AAA Cooper would find reasons to work together, that just really doesn't work. They are pretty much separate. Yeah. I, you know, good and bad, uh, those are very absolute terms. But if I had the opportunity to take a private jet to get anywhere I wanted, I would probably be pretty happy to have that opportunity. Why? Um, I would never have to transfer between airports. I'd never have to put up with passengers. I'd never worry about my baggage getting lost during uh, a change between flights. Uh, I wouldn't be worried about a delay with one airplane causing a ripple effect and, and me never getting my connection and getting to where I needed to be. And uh, it wouldn't make sense to do, though. It wouldn't be cost effective because it's just me and I'm not going to fill up that plane and I'm not willing to pay that premium. Uh, for that experience. So that's why LTL exists, right? It's, it's a fractional use of a trailer. Uh, and very much like when we're airplane passengers, we're a fractional use of that airplane. Uh, just I think the LTL carriers take better care of the freight than the airlines do with us as passengers. So that's a different discussion. Uh, and, and truckload is exactly the opposite, right? If I have enough freight to fill up a trailer, why would I ever want to not have it drive the most direct route, uh, most immediate service, convenience of uh, being the only freight on that trailer, not having to mix commodities, not worrying about it getting unloaded and reloaded, and uh, all the possible things that could happen and all the the headaches that LTL carriers have and, and solve for the customers. Right? LTL carriers are good at what they do. Uh, so if a truckload shipment starts moving LTL, well, it might not be unloaded from the trailer, but that LTL carrier doesn't have a, a fixed truckload network where it can move that it's going to move uh, where it can move that shipment from point a to point b directly it's going to move through its ltl network it's going to piggyback on the line haul network and move from terminal terminal break bolt to break bolt it's going to get transferred between drivers even if it's not getting reloaded onto a different trailer so i don't think that's uh an effective solution for goods that should move truckload and should move point to point and, and in theory faster and uh, same thing, I, you know, elasticity of the market, if things went the other way and somehow LTL capacity became impossible and I now started to need to reach out to truckload providers to move my LTL freight, well, then I'm paying that premium for dedicated use of the truck uh, and they, they can't achieve the efficiencies of, oh, I'll combine it with other freight because they don't have a dock to move things around. Uh, it, it's just a totally different solution. And when one starts starts borrowing the other's capacity, it's because the primary mode has failed somehow. Let's uh, let's move away from this a little bit. Now, I don't have a lot of time left. You, As I mentioned early on, you've got kind of a ringside seat to the LTL business. 
How's it doing? LTL business is doing very well. Uh, it's a little bit less impacted by the ups and downs of the market. Uh, the job that the LTL carriers continue to do just amazes me. It is incredible how they can move a shipment so many miles overnight, have it picked up one afternoon, deliver the next morning, damage-free, on time. It's it's absolutely amazing. There are things that the shipper community can do to, I think, help the LTL carriers better service them. A lot of that is tied to connectivity, right? Uh, there are still shippers who sort of call up their LTL providers and say, hey, make sure a truck shows up sometime this afternoon. You'll find out what's going to be on that truck after you leave. Well, it's very hard to do any short-term planning around unfilled. So the more the shippers can collaborate with their LTL carriers to give them advanced notice, even if it's only five hours advanced notice, that's enough for them to tweak their uh, dock door usage, to tweak their line hauls, to ensure the right forklift drivers are going to be uh, on shift at the right time, uh, to keep costs as effective as possible, and and continue to provide the level of service without having to increase pricing. So I'd, I'd love to see the shipper community and the carrier community continue to collaborate together uh, to achieve the, the goal of moving the freight on time, intact, damage-free at the lowest possible cost. And we know that one of the reasons that the truckload rates are so weak now and uh, the very, very low uh, re- rejection rate is because so much capacity came in the market in 2021 and into 2022. We see that in the uh, numbers coming out of FMCSA. Adding that kind of capacity in LTL is a much slower process. It, it's a much slower process because of that fixed asset network. I have to have the cross stock. And real estate is hard to come by these days, right? I hear the truckload carriers uh, correctly complaining about no place to park the trucks, no place to take breaks, uh, driver safety, all of those things. And those are real, real challenges. And I sympathize with them. But try and find a cross dock facility in a metro market, you know, not in my backyard. No one, no one wants that, right? But everybody needs it, and real estate has gotten very expensive. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's good for the incumbents always, but uh, not quite as good for the, for the customers. That's that's always the way it works, and you're never going to have that issue in truckload. The capacity will always seem to to, to rise when it's needed because the barriers to entry are so low. It, it is much easier to buy a truck than it is to um, to source a new facility. And, and get it staffed up and uh, calculate how many dock doors do I need, right? It's, you can't take three dock doors offline because I don't need them. I'm still paying for that facility and I can't add three. I can't build an extension overnight. I can buy three more trucks. So you're 100% right, John. We want to thank Ben Weeson, the president of Carrier Logistics, which serves the LTL industry. So as I said earlier, he's got a bird's eye view of what's going on there and particularly in the fact that The LTL carriers, uh, some of them may become the apple of the eye of some bigger truckload companies who want to get into that field. So, Ben, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Pleasure to be here. Enjoy the rest of your day. So, you have been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts for FreightWaves. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms as well, of course, on FreightWaves TV. I'm your host, John Kingston, and please join us again.